Regulating the Internet of Things The mystery behind the shuttering of Donald Trump's new cybersecurity advisor's website and the Orlando shooting's impact on healthcare privacy guidance. These stories coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's report with this question. What role do U.S. federal regulators play in getting Internet of Things vendors to secure the devices they sell? To get an idea how the security of IoT devices could be regulated, take a look at a case being brought by the Federal Trade Commission against router and camera maker D-Link. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk reports. D-Link is one of the largest manufacturers of consumer routers and IP cameras, which of late have been aggressively targeted by hackers. Computer security experts have often warned that the devices have poor security controls. Now, the FTC has filed suit against D-Link, alleging the company falsely marketed its products as secure despite having numerous security issues. The court case could signal the start of a long-term battle to fix systemic problems with the Internet of Things. The IoT industry has been under close scrutiny the last six months as hackers have compromised large numbers of home routers, IP cameras, and even baby monitors. Those devices were then used for devastating distributed denial of service attacks. Laura DiDidio, IoT Research Director with 451 Research, says the FTC's complaint is a sign that if the industry doesn't improve security, regulators will take note. The difference here is that this is probably among the first examples that we are of many that we will see in which regulators are really going to aggressively file against vendors for these security breaches. Filed in federal court in San Francisco, the FTC alleges violations of the FTC Act, which prohibits deceptive marketing practices. An investigation found that D-Link shipped IP cameras with default usernames and passwords. The company also left its private code signing key on a public server for more than six months. D-Link has called the charges unwarranted and baseless, arguing that it maintains a robust set of procedures to address security problems. But the FTC says that the collective result of these errors means that consumer routers and cameras have been vulnerable to attacks that could have compromised their sensitive personal information. Craig Spiesel, executive director and president of the Online Trust Alliance, says although D-Link is the focus of the FTC, the problem of inadequate security in the IoT industry is widespread. The discussion's not about dealing. The discussion now is about every company needs to be accountable. And I applaud the FTC of pointing out these, what appears to be serious yet basic lapses. His group is trying to get manufacturers to adopt a set of guidelines that would prevent some of the common security issues seen in connected devices. But some companies are hesitant to sign on since their current products don't comply. Craig Spiesel. What's the right thing to be doing for consumers and the industry? And it's securing these devices and making sure they have a plan to support them over the expected life. That's what I'm most concerned about. Creating those plans would likely help the industry avoid the legal troubles D-Link now faces. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. After September 11, 2001, then-New York City Mayor Rudolph Giuliani gained national acclaim for how he led the response to the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center. He won the moniker America's Mayor for that leadership, and using his 9-11 notoriety, he formed a security consultancy after he left office three and a half months later. While continuing to lead his consultancy, Giuliani took a second job a year ago. He joined Greenberg Troig as global chair of the law firm's cybersecurity, privacy, and crisis management practice. 
And just last week, President-elect Donald Trump tapped Giuliani to coordinate a White House initiative to get the federal government and industry to collaborate on cybersecurity. Here's Giuliani discussing his new assignment with Fox News. I'll coordinate the whole thing. I'll get, get the people in, make sure the meeting takes place, make sure they get the information from the private sector. So it'll do a couple of things. First of all, it'll give the government all the information available in the private sector. Number two, it'll form a little more connection between these people who are doing cybersecurity so they can work with each other. When Trump named Giuliani as cybersecurity advisor, some cybersecurity experts question his cybersecurity bona fides. To discuss that, I'm joined by ISMG Data Breach Today editor Matt Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hello, Eric. What troubles do some cybersecurity experts have with Giuliani in this new position? We don't know a lot about Giuliani and what this position entails. So to, I think, attempt to find more out about what Giuliani does and doesn't know about cybersecurity, a lot of security experts have started looking for any proof that they might find or any demonstrations that they might find. That has led them to look at the website for the Giuliani Partners firm. And the reports there are that from a security standpoint, the site fails on many fronts. How so? For example, it doesn't force users to use HTTPS, which is something that we would like to see. It does use Flash, which is a security no-no if you can help it. And it has tons of open ports. In the absence of real details on what exactly Giuliani will be doing for the administration and also exactly what type of cybersecurity expertise he might have, what we're seeing is that his company's website doesn't look to be very secure. Now, you and I both try to go to his website. I know he has two, one Giuliani Partners and the other Giuliani Security. When I went to both of those, I couldn't get to it. Do you know what's going on there? I had the exact same experience after the Trump administration announced that Giuliani would be advising on cybersecurity and running what sound to me like meetings between business executives and himself in order to glean best practices. After that announcement was made, his website became unreachable. I reached out to Giuliani Partners. I also reached out to the Trump transition team to ask them a few questions. For example, did they take the website down themselves? Was it the result of somebody on the outside disrupting the website? And also I asked the Trump transition team what they thought of the brouhaha that had been kicked off after a lot of security experts noted that if Giuliani is supposed to have a pivotal cybersecurity role in the new administration, how come his company can't get its website security right? Those websites seem to be mostly promotional. There appears to be no business transactions being conducted on them. If that's the case, should anyone care if, if they're secure or not? If you have a company these days, people will expect there to be some type of website, basically to validate that it exists. In this case, it looks like Giuliani's company outsourced the website creation to someone else. And the result, while informational, also happens to fail SSL tests, website security headers tests, and a number of other technical tests. Now, what does this say about Giuliani? From a cybersecurity standpoint, we don't know. From a business standpoint, it's not a smoking gun, but it doesn't bode well when it comes to details related to proper cybersecurity acumen. One would have hoped that someone advising the incoming Trump White House on cybersecurity had anything and everything related to cybersecurity that he could control locked down tight. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
I want to let you know I'm in Orlando. And I did the shooting. That's the chilling 911 call made by Omar Martin after he shot 102 people, killing 49 of them at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida during the wee hours of Sunday morning on June 12th. It was largely the result of the aftermath of the terrorist attack that prompted the Department of Health and Human Services to issue new health data privacy guidance. To discuss that new guidance, I'm joined by Healthcare Info Security Editor Marianne Kolpasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. How did the Pulse nightclub shooting, which also wounded 53 other people, prompted changes in HHS guidance? The night that this tragedy happened, hundreds of people descended on Orlando hospitals seeking the fate of their loved ones that were shot at the nightclub. They wanted to know about their conditions and in some cases whether they were dead or alive. Complicating things a bit is the fact that many of Pulse's clientele is gay and seeking information at the hospitals, there was confusion about same-sex couples being able to get information about their loved ones. To protect patient privacy, Congress years ago enacted HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and that limits information that can be disclosed about patients. What was the confusion Orlando in releasing information to those injured, and is such confusion common? These sorts of situations in times of crisis is not unusual in terms of, you know, the sort of confusion. Kirk Nara is a lawyer at Wiley Ryan, and he says that the Office for Civil Rights within the Department of Health and Human Services is trying hard to be helpful on giving people clear indication of how they can make these decisions about disclosing information. They're not forcing any hospitals to disclose, but they want to make sure that these hospitals know that it's not a violation to disclose information to same-sex couples and others that might not be blood relatives that are seeking information about a patient. Exactly what does the new guidance clarify? It reinforces that the HEPA privacy rule permits covered entities to share with an individual's family member, other relatives, even close friends, or any other person that's identified by the individual information directly relevant to the involvement of that person in the patient's care. But again, in the situation of the Orlando shooting, many of these people were brought to the hospital unconscious. So that's where a lot of the confusion came in, that these patients weren't able to say, yes, you know, it's okay to share information with this person or that person. And that's a problem that could still surface again in another situation like this. I'm sure it can, and it will. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.